please join me in your Bibles um, on the scripture text, which will be coming from 2 Timothy chapter 1. It'll be verses 3 through 7. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, and with your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure it lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, I've been uh, your pastor for a little over two years, maybe two and a third years. And you've probably noticed that I don't preach a lot of sermon series. Well, this morning we're beginning one. It's an eight-week series uh, as we work our way through the book of 2 Timothy. Last fall when I was reading through this this book in the Bible, I really felt pressed in my heart that... Paul was sharing some aspects of life and ministry that this congregation would be blessed to hear. So the next eight weeks, uh, we're going to be taking an in-depth look at this very short yet very important um, book book in the Bible. Have you ever looked up to somebody uh, as, as a mentor? There were this person in your life that was just kind of that life guide for you. Maybe they were behind the scenes in your life, guiding you and encouraging you. Maybe you were the one who was the mentor in somebody else's life, helping them discern life, helping them learn how to make wise decisions in life. Maybe offering counsel to them when it was necessary. Well, this, I think, was part of the dynamic of this relationship between Paul and Timothy. Now, we see from our scripture passage this morning that while Timothy's mother and grandmother were influences on his faith in his early life, it was really Paul who was the guiding force in Timothy's spiritual life when he was an adult. Timothy traveled with Paul extensively, and Paul trusted him. This was someone that Paul could count on. Likewise, it it, it appears that Timothy trusted Paul, and he learned a great deal about life and ministry uh, from him. Evidence shows that Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to serve as its pastor, And so we see Paul writing to Timothy at least twice, so we have two letters that have survived, to encourage him to provide instructions for how he was to live faithfully in his life as their pastor. 
In this letter of 2 Timothy, we see Paul who knows that his life on earth is not to be much longer. And he was leaving some final words for Timothy in case they didn't have an opportunity to see each other again. So think back, if you will, of those people in your life who were molders, who were shapers to you. And now think, are you that same person in someone else's life? I mean, God brought you to where you are in your relationship with Christ, not just for yourself, but so that you can invest in someone else's life. So that you can serve as a mentor to them, as a spiritual guide to them, just as someone served in that capacity for you. So that's kind of the context we have of our, of our passage uh, this morning, really the overarching umbrella for the whole series. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them because I want us to look at the opening verses of this, of, of, of this book here. Paul begins in verse 3 with a couple of very interesting statements. He says that he's thankful to God for Timothy as he's praying for Timothy all throughout the day. Think about what Paul just stated. His mentoring relationship with Timothy extended to his prayers for Timothy. Can we say that about ourselves? Are we praying for those that we mentor? All throughout the day, are we praying for them? Sunday school teachers, youth counselors, committee chairpersons, professors, teachers, supervisors, administrators. Are we praying for those over whom we serve? Are we praying for them? Well, we should be. If we're followers of Jesus and we have an oversight position, whether spiritual mentor or supervisory, we have a spiritual responsibility to those people. If we're not praying for those folks on a regular basis, I think it's difficult for us to call ourselves apprentices or disciples of Jesus. I think the second interesting thing about Paul's introduction here in verse 3 is that he says that he serves the Lord with a clear conscience. Well, that sounds a bit pretentious, don't you think? I serve the Lord with a clear conscience. Well, goody for you, Paul. <laughs> I've always thought that was an interesting statement. So what is our conscience? What is he talking about here? Basically, our conscience is the joining of our moral and spiritual understanding of ourselves. Having a conscience is part of being created in the image of God. Because we can know the difference between right and wrong. 
Now, Paul says that his conscience is clear when it comes to his service to God. He feels confident that he's conducted his life in a way that is pleasing to God. You know, doctors tell us to check ourselves for unusual skin blotches or sunspots, lumps, all kinds of things. But when was the last time that you examined the state of your heart? When you took a look at yourself, not just on the outside, but on the inside. So that we can understand if our conscience is clear before God. John Wesley had an extensive list of questions that he and his colleagues, his, his fellow Methodists, would ask themselves. When he was at Oxford, Wesley and the early Methodists used what they called a scheme of self-evaluation. They would ask themselves some tough questions that would really force these early Methodists, to be honest with themselves and their relationship with Christ. Now on our church website, under resources, I've posted a paraphrase of these questions so that you can look and see what this examination of conscience might look like. Now don't, don't go there now. No, you've got your little smartphones and tablets and things. Don't go there now. Isaac, turn off the Wi-Fi. <laughs> Go look at this later, but it's on the church website. You can check it out. And maybe even ask yourself these questions. Paul had taken a look at himself and he said, Okay, I've wrestled with things and I've got a clear conscience in how I've conducted myself. That's not pride. That's just good self-understanding. Well, in verse 6, Paul tells Timothy. He says, for this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you. Through the laying on of my hands. Rekindle. The word means to stir up the fire. Fan the flame. Get your poker out and start poking at the coals. Fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. See, Paul doesn't doubt the spark of faith in Timothy's life. But he wants to make sure that that spark of faith is being stirred up through active ministry. Have you ever seen these crazy survival shows on TV where they take some coals and they wrap them up in bark and they put them in their backpack and then they get to their campsite at night and they take the coals out and they use it to start a fire? Have you ever seen that? Maybe I'm the only one who watches these geeky shows. I tried that in college and almost set my whole backpack on fire, so I would not <laughs> recommend that you do that. Paul is using that same basic imagery here. The hot coals of our faith are the basis for all that we do in life. But we can't keep our faith to ourselves. 
Because if we have a relationship with Jesus and we keep it to ourselves, that's a selfish faith. All that does is help ourselves. It doesn't extend to other people. Our faith in Christ should be as noticeable as a roaring fire. And if you haven't noticed, you can't really hide a fire, can you? Once it's lit, it's lit. Paul doesn't want Timothy to hide his faith, but to ignite the spark of his faith. See, at some point in the past, Paul and others laid his hands on Timothy and consecrated him for the work of Christ. Timothy's spiritual gifts were consecrated or set apart for God to use. You may have noticed when we have students or we have missionaries leave this congregation, we call them down and we lay hands on them and we pray for them. That their work, that their lives might be set apart for the work of God. That's what Paul and the other elders did for Timothy. And, and so Paul is reminding Timothy of that moment. Don't forget that moment when we consecrated your life, your work, your ministry. Each of us has moments in our lives that are these pinnacle spiritual moments. Times when we feel connected to God the very most. One of those times in my life, I was sitting right down here where Johnny and Jenny are sitting when I was a seminary student. It was a moment at a special concert this church had back in 1990 that I will never forget. It was a confirmation of the call of God in my life. Why in the world am I in Wilmore? How did I end up here? God spoke to me in that moment. And I'll never forget it. And there are days when I come down from my study and sit right there to remember. Those moments for you may be a moment at a retreat or a conference or a, maybe even a specific worship service. These moments can come through a specific time when we're reading scripture or a moment on a mission trip. We should always remember these divinely appointed times in our lives because God uses our everyday encounters and moments in our lives to minister to us, to teach us, to move us. So Paul is reminding Timothy of the significance of when he and the others laid their hands on him. Well, in verse 7, we get to this famous triumvirate that Paul says is why Timothy should fan his faith into flames. Paul writes that God has not given us a spirit of fear. Not a spirit of cowardice or fear. Notice that Paul doesn't call them emotions. Paul doesn't say God hasn't given us any emotion of fear. But Paul says he hasn't given us a spirit of fear. See, I think there's a simple explanation as to why we experience fear. 
Think about those. I mean, we, we get anxious. We get nervous. We get fearful of things. And I think there's a bottom line reason. And I think it's because we don't think God is big enough. That's why we fear. Because our concept of God is not as big as it should be. And so our fear becomes about how we try to get ourselves out of situations rather than relying on God. See, this kind of fear is not from God. So Paul tells us what is from God. He says, God has given us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. These are spiritual gifts given to all Christians. Power, love, self-discipline. I want us to look at these. He says, God has given us a spirit of power. Think about that word, power. Christian culture tells us not to seek it, right? We're told that it corrupts us. We're told that you have to step on people to get it. All very true. We've all seen Christian leaders succumb to power only to crash and burn. The word for power is used more than 120 times in the New Testament. It's an important word for us to know in our life with Christ. Yet power in Paul's understanding of it is an important dynamic, no pun intended, of the Christian life. When Paul refers to power, the understanding is energy. It's the ability to perform great deeds for God. It's the inner strength beyond our inner strength. It's the opposite of fear because we know who lives inside us. This is the power that Paul says God has given us. He also says God has given us a spirit of love. See, love is selflessness. Love is always looking out for what's better for somebody else. When like power, true love in this sense is only given to us through the Holy Spirit. Like power, love is the opposite of fear because our concern is not on ourselves. I have a family member who was a senior manager, executive at a multi-million dollar manufacturing facility before he retired. He's a committed Christian, but always in his professional life, he was careful not to force his beliefs on anyone at work. He didn't hide his beliefs, but he didn't force his beliefs on anybody. So how do you, in a workplace, demonstrate this understanding of love that Paul is talking about? Well, one way for this relative of ours was to do something crazy. 
See, at his workplace, all of the executives had preferential parking right next to the door. He got rid of that. So that any employee could park anywhere. It was a little thing. But it demonstrated that he didn't believe that he was above anybody else. It made him approachable to people. Now, I'm not saying preferred parking is evil. We have staff parking out there. But in this instance, this person wanted to demonstrate this selfless love in a secular workplace. He had the right to have a designated parking spot. It was part of his contract or whatever. He could park right next to the door. But he gave up that right just as Jesus gave up rights when he became one of us. That's love. It's giving up our rights so that others can have them. Well, Paul also says that God has given us a spirit of self-discipline. This can be translated as, you know, wise discretion, self-control. We have a cute little dog named Zoe. Fluffy, more cat than dog. I mean, she's real small. I mean, just a wimpy little dog. But... We've had, I mean, she's, she's been around 10 or 11 years now. She's getting old. And she's really good at jumping on people when they come over. Now, we've talked about this. The doorbell rings. Someone knocks on the door. And she goes crazy. And I have a conversation with her. Now, Zoe, remember my mom gave me eye contact? Zoe and I have eye contact. Zoe, there's somebody at the door. And you know what to do. You're going to stay down. You're not going to jump up. You're going to stay down. And she, she affirms, okay, I understand that. <laughs> she doesn't wag her tail. Her whole back end is wagging. She knows. So she's at the top of our steps... The door opens up. Pew! She's down there jumping up on people. She has no self-control. Now, unlike Zoe, we have self-control given to us by the Holy Spirit. We can restrain ourselves. We don't have to give in to temptations when they come sneaking around. Because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Maybe our lack of self-control, maybe our lack of self-discipline is a lack of self-discipline to be active in ministry. Maybe we lack the self-discipline to properly prepare for a Sunday school class we're teaching. 
Maybe we lack the self-discipline of showing care to others. See, there's lots of ways that we cannot exhibit self-discipline. See, these three opposites of spiritual fear, power, love, self-discipline are ways that we can fan into flame the gifts that God has given each one of us. There are people at your places of work and in your neighborhoods who need to hear about the Lord. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed to tell them what God wants them to hear. See, we do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do this through a spirit of love for their well-being. We do this with the self-discipline and perseverance that God gives us. See, a life of power and love and self-discipline is a life lived for God and empowered by God. It's not a life lived for God empowered by ourselves. It's not a life for ourselves. A life of power and love and self-discipline is living life for God knowing that it's empowered by God. For His glory and not for ours. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these important words from the Apostle Paul. We thank you that your spirit pressed upon him to write this letter to Timothy. Lord, there's so much meat in these verses. So much that we need to know. So much that we need to be living. Lord, we thank you that you minister to us all throughout the day. But Lord, we're sorry that we are not aware of it. Our focus is too much on ourselves. Lord, help us to live in a way in which your spirit is guiding us in power and love and self-discipline so that we might be that roaring fire for others. Lord, you have placed us in this world at this time in history. And we thank you for all the lives that you enable us to touch. In your name, Lord, minister to us now. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.